Today on the Zabecast, if you were downtown in D.C. on Saturday night, you were at a party. The Capitals are inching closer to their first ever Stanley Cup. And I got full team coverage of my night. Michael Jenkins, NBC Sports Washington, joins me. He's got a new hit single called It's Okay to Believe. All that plus NIMBYs take aim at ways. If you've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go. <laughs> Here we go. And there it was on Saturday night. Oh, what a night, man. It was a thrill to be there. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday, June 4, 2018. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. NBA Finals Game 2 was Sunday night. It was too late for this edition, as they once said in the newspaper business. I'm actually trying to change the production schedule, so to speak, here of the Zabecast so that it'll be there for you at 6 a.m. in the morning for the next day. So there might be some events that aren't quite as topical, but I think hearing from people and just doing some research on what's the best practices for podcasts that are daily, Monday through Friday, getting it out there early for you guys. Early is better than later, right? I mean, if you if you don't eat it in the morning, it'll be there for you in the afternoon or the next day or whenever. That's the beauty of podcasting. We will talk NBA tomorrow. Scheduled to appear, the big ginger, Tim Murray. Michael Jenkins, Michael Jenkins, speaking of gingers, of NBC Sports Washington will join us. He has written a song, yes, a song about the Capitals that I love. It's part corny, part cool, totally hilarious, and completely off the cuff for a guy that's got no musical background whatsoever. You know me singing things like Eastbound and Down. I love that kind of stuff. Jenkins has been in this market for a long time and does good work on NBC Sports Washington. So, to Saturday night, downtown D.C., Capitals versus Knights, Stanley Cup final, game number three. Uh, I went yet again uh, with Peter Bartell, who is in town from Milwaukee. He is going to host me in Vegas. He is a, a big Vegas Golden Knights fan and wore the opposing jersey in the building. And uh, he became a Golden Knights fan because growing up in Wisconsin and living there with his family, he's got, you know, he loves hockey. But the Blackhawks have always been kind of forced upon Milwaukeeans and Wisconsinites because that's the closest NHL team there. So he became a Golden Knights fan because he does a lot of business in Vegas. And so, therefore, is quite a natural for him. Well, he came to D.C. because he's all wrapped up in the series and was having fun. And we'll be out there for Game 5 on Thursday night, and I can't thank him enough for that. He did, uh, you know, so I went to the game with him, but I also had a connection with Capital One. 
And I had a connection with Capital One to do some tweeting. I apologize for the crass commercial tweets, but you know they were they were hooking me up, and I was you know happy to take their generosity on that front. And actually, by the way, I did get a jersey uh, at twenty percent off. A I got myself a genuine Adidas fan replica jersey um, with the Stanley Cup Finals patch on it. That's the most important thing. I was asking. I was like. I'm looking there at all the little concession stands and the team stores in the arena. I'm like, where's the ones with the Stanley Cup Finals patch on it? And the guy said, oh, here, it's right here. And they were hanging on a separate hook, not attached. He said the production of the production schedule to get these in people's hands too quick turnaround from when the you know conference finals ended. So the NHL has put out the patch. And if you just take this patch, if you buy the patch, you go down to a station uh, between portals and they will affix it for you to your jersey and get it nicely professionally steam pressed on there. And so I did. The patch itself was uh twenty four ninety nine plus tax. Ah, but with my twenty percent off thanks to my Capital One card, what's in your wallet? Uh it only cost me nineteen ninety nine. Total ripoff of course, but I figured I don't own an actual current Capitals jersey. I don't even know if I own my old Caps jersey from back in the day, which I used to play street hockey in. Damn it, I wish I'd saved that. Uh, anyway, so I don't really have a current Caps jersey. I have T-shirt jerseys, or jerseys as we call them. But otherwise, no. No, I don't have one. And I said, well, son of a bitch, I need one. I almost got a Verona 13, because you can get pretty much any player in the team shop pre-made in your size when you go to Capital One Arena. And while Verona's young and very promising upside, and I do like the number 13 as a jersey number, I said, eh, I don't know. You know, if you're going to get a jersey, and I think this is going to be my one Caps jersey, get the Hall of Famer, get the grade 8 with the Captain C on it on one chest and then the Stanley Cup logo on the other. So I got the jersey after the game. I was waiting for the traffic to die down just a bit. Went and got it pressed on there. They did a very good job. They didn't just slap it on there. They actually had like a a ruler and they measured it to make sure it lined up just correctly. What horrified me is that some fans had bought the Stanley Cup Finals patch and they were having these guys at this little press station affixing it to all kinds of different Caps jerseys. To a Winter Classic jersey. They had someone putting it on an old version of of the jersey. There was a woman that wanted one on a new uh, Stadium Series jersey, the alternate blue, and the guy actually said to her, he goes, ma'am, this patch does not belong on that jersey, but if you want me to put it there, I will do it. And I think she turned around, said something to her husband, looked a little bit miffed, and then stomped off. And I kind of gave the guy a nod. I was like, that's a good job. I said, "That, that shouldn't be the case. I'm sitting there looking at these old ratty Dale Hunter jerseys and it's got the Stanley Cup finals patch on it after, you know, some woman walks up or a guy might have been a guy and says, yes, I'd like this on there. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. But, you know, to each his own. You, you pay twenty four ninety five for a patch, much less the two twenty and change for the jersey. Eh, put it on whatever you want. It was an amazing life, amazing night. And my life is amazingly charmed in that. Got free parking from Atlantic Parking. Ding. I did not plan this. I swear. I was like, God, where am I going to park with all these road closures? 
And the CEO of Atlantic Parking, they own a bunch of garages, big listener, said, oh, yeah, don't worry, we'll take care of you, VIP. Boom. Free parking. My birthday run continues. Uh, then I get you know the hookup for the uh, upgraded seats from uh, Capital One, and they were fantastic. Behind the shooting goal for the Capitals for the first and third period, I would say 20 rows up, thereabouts. In fact, I was right in the zone, and I mentioned this to our Capital One host, Allie, who was going to her first Capitals game ever. I said, you know, they didn't used to have this netting above the glass here until about 15 years ago. And maybe it's more than that by now. Time flies. And I told her the story about the tragic story of the young girl who died in Columbus after getting hit by a puck, and then two days later, a blood clot shook free in her head and killed her. And I told her how I used to, on my show, bellyache mightily, about how this had ruined the view and that it was, uh, you know, one more overprotection for, you know, fans should know they should be paying attention and if they don't want to sit there, they can move somewhere else. Well, there I was sitting in uh, Rowan, section 105, seat five, and I'm going, boy, oh boy, kind of glad there's that netting right there. (laughs) It did obstruct the view, but honestly, when you're in one of those seats, and you're looking down the ice 200 feet away at the other goal, you're not seeing much of what happens anyway. You've got to go watch up on the Jumbotron if you really want to see what's going on. But when the action is in your end and you're watching the players, there is nothing like it. I mean, it's amazing how on TV the players all look further away from the goalie than they do in person, which I thought would have been maybe the opposite in real life. It, on TV, it looks like, oh, yeah, he's way out there. He's not going to score. Man, in real life, in person, you know, that close to the action, you're watching these guys skate around, and you're thinking, holy shit, he's right there in front of the goalie. Like, that's so tight right there, the space. And I like sitting on the end because you can see the weaving in and out of how these guys navigate their way through traffic up ice. And it is It's a wonder. It's a miracle. It's incredible. It's such a great sport. It's a delicacy. I know not everyone's into it. You're probably going to sit there right now going, oh, Jesus, is this Zabecast all hockey? Uh, Answer mostly, sort of. So I know not everyone loves it, but just give it a try. So anyway, I went to game three, totally unexpected to the last minute, working backwards Peter said he'd get me into game five in Vegas. That was the first one. I go, okay, you know what? It's my birthday. All right, boom. I'll get out there. I'll go to one game in the series. That'll be more than enough. Incredible. Then my man Dan Purcell from upstate New York of Purcell Ward and Greenberg, I believe, his law firm, very successful lawyer, very generous man, says, we got to go to game four. I'm coming down to D.C. We got to go. And he wouldn't let me say no. And I said, okay, I twist my arm. So we're going on Monday night. And then this Capital One thing and Peter fell into my lap for game three. I'm like, well, holy shit, I'm like in the series now. I'm going to three straight games. And I know, it's a joke, right? My charmed life, free parking, three tickets to three Stanley Cup games in a row, plus going to Vegas. Fuck me, right? Yeah, I I hear you. I hear you. I did feel guilty, though, for some of my buddies, some of my best Caps fan buddies, like my boy One Account Rosie, who went on Craigslist. And swore he had what looked like legitimate tickets via Craigslist to the game for $300 a piece for four of them together. 
I said, bro, Craigslist, it's a great place to get murdered, raped, ripped off, or knocked over the head with a steel club with a, with a tire iron and left for dead. He's like, I know, I know, I know. And I said, well, would you correspond with this guy and what he say? And the guy was like, he showed me a, you know, the four tickets. He showed me the printout confirming their purchase from the Washington Capitals themselves. And when asked, he said, well, why are you selling these for 300 when the StubHub get-in price for the worst seats? And by the way, these were in a mezzanine, so mid-level seats in the arena. Worst seats on StubHub apparently for Game 3 were going for $1,100. And the guy said, oh, I do this all the time. I just don't like to deal with the hassle. I mean, I make 80 or 90 of these sales every year. I don't use all my tickets, and I've got this, and I've got that, and said, man, it just sounds fishy to me. So if you have any Craigslist stories about ticket buying and ticket selling and ticket scamming, I would love to hear from them. I think my buddy did the right thing by saying no to that because it doesn't if it if it's too good to be true, what's the phrase? It's not possibly true. A lot of talk about oh by the way, while I was down there I was recognized by way too many people. I used to be much more anonymous in radio. 15 years ago, but now with, you know, some TV appearances and especially with social media and Twitter and everything else, a lot of people stopping me very, I was very humbled by it. I took literally dozens of pictures, maybe two dozen pictures with fans and they were all great. And like I said, I'm very humbled by it. Got to talk to my boy smoking Al Coken. Uh, and we had a good chat where we're looking at the scene and we're looking at the streets filled with people in red and all the stuff there. And I said, you know, I didn't think we could get this, Al. I didn't think we'd have enough people to fill up a watch party or to be downtown outside without tickets watching on a Jumbotron. I didn't think our town was that way, even though I wanted it. I yearned for it. I thought, man, look at that in Vancouver. Man, look at that in Toronto. Man, look at that here, there, and everywhere else. And Smokin' Al said something which was, I thought, very on point. He said, yeah, you know what? Neither did I. And part of what Wilbon said was right about D.C. not be, being a, quote, minor league sports town, there's that little nugget of it that he wasn't necessarily wrong about, or at least that was the reputation before. But a lot has changed, and we've never been in a championship round like this. Not in the modern digital internet era. You know, 20 years ago, 1998, the internet was around, but it was still in its crib. <clears throat> when I should have strangled the internet for the good of all society. Die, Internet, die. A lot was made about what was our pregame going to be to quote-unquote match or to, oh yeah, Vegas, watch this. And the pregame was going great, I thought, until one thing happened. First of all, let me just tell you about a video that you should watch. It's, uh, it's done by the Capitals Video Game Production Department. It's It's wonderful. It's perfect. It's got this music. There's really no words. There's no script to it. And it's not needed. Basically, it's called Our City, Our Team, Our Time. And I would have changed it to Our Town, Our Team, Our Time, just for the alliterative TTT, but that's okay. We're not a town. We're a city. And this video, which is two and a half minutes, it's just got a lot of cutaways and montages and super slow-mos of you know, the the granular nature of hockey. The, the Zamboni cleaning the ice. The guys laundering the jerseys. 
uh, the players getting off planes and laughing in slow motion and bonding as a team. And then they start to mix in highlights of great plays with the players through the years. And then they start showing, and this is where the music kind of ramps up here in just a second. So it's building and it's building. The lights are dark in the arena. The crowd is going crazy. So you got to imagine the crowd going, <sighs> getting all pumped up. It starts to ramp up when they show some of the star players and what they were like when they were a lot younger. Clips of them in juniors. Clips of them when they were with the Hershey Bears winning championships like Holtby and Carlson. And just the joy of the moment as the music begins to swell, you know? I'm getting kind of choked up right now. You know, and they've got shots of Backstrom with his family and his kids, and Oshie is the same way, and so it ties in all that community, and here's our team, and shots of the memorial and everything else, and then great highlights here, Ovechkin. I mean, it's like you, and remember, the crowd right now is... So it, it all leads up to this great big crescendo. And I'm like, this is great. As soon as this wraps up and the players come on the ice, let's go ahead and do the anthem. And then as we like to say, let's do that hockey, as they say in hockey. And it's like, okay, great. You know, uh, Okay, here comes the players out on the ice. And we're like, let's go. Let's go. The crowd is at a fever pitch. (sighs) Unfortunately, instead of let's do that hockey, y'all, as they say. Uh, He's playing great, which is crazy because he got in a full fist fight in the first minute of the game. Uh, But hey, as they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Instead of let's do that hockey, or let's do that hockey, they brought out Pat Sajak. (laughs) <laughs> and Pat Sajak is a sort of long-time season ticket holder, 13 years. And he is well-liked amongst the Caps family. And he has shown quite a bit. But you had him just out there alone in a pullover starting to talk about stuff. And I'm like, oh, you're killing the mood. You're losing the room here. What are you doing? And it led up to introducing each team's starting lineup in a sort of a, uh, it wheel of fortune way with the letters being revealed. And the fans booed the shit out of the Vegas players and they cheered the Caps players. But it just, it was the only thing that I would have changed about the night. I just thought Pat Sajak, as well-liked as you are, not the place to do it. Less is more. Let's go right from that wonderful crescendo uh, to the anthem's anthem and then the game itself. By the way, if you want to see the uh, that video, go to the CapitalsNHL.com website. I did retweet it. It might be easier to find on my Twitter timeline. It's called Our City, Our Time, or Our Team, Our Time. So there you go. Uh, Linda Carter was there. Wonder Woman, uh-huh. She's, boy, approaching 70 almost. Still looks, Still looks good. Still looks good for a lady her age, but man. We're all getting so old so fast, it's depressing. Joe Jackson Gibbs was there, the great, beloved coach of the Washington Redskins and Super Bowl champion, three-time Super Bowl champion. He led a thunderous rendition of Let's Go Caps amidst all the thunder sticks 
or not the thunder sticks, but the light up glow sticks, which were very badass, given out to all the fans. And then shame on NBC or NBC Sportsnet. Actually, it was big NBC on Saturday night. <laughs> they brought down Keenan Thompson from SNL, who I like and is very funny, and they claimed he was a Caps fan. Now, not only is there footage of him getting on set, somebody took with their phone, taking off his Yankee hat, and then putting on a Caps hat. It can be fans of both teams. You know, it's baseball and hockey. Right. And then when asked in an interview, who are your favorite Capitals, Keenan Thompson said, Ochi. <laughs> and he also said, uh, Brent Holtby. Eh, yeah. Debacle. Just don't do that. I know they wanted the pop for SNL. You know, I know they were going to tie that in. Could you maybe coach him up just a bit? Or don't let him be interviewed. Just show him, okay? Uh, speaking of Ochi, and I'm not sure if that was a mashup of TJ Oshi and Alex Ovechkin, but TJ Oshi and Matt Niskanen took the subway to the game, which was classic. Kuzi played amazing, scored a goal with a wrist that Everyone thought was so messed up. There's no way he's going to play, at least for a game or two. Don't ever doubt Dr. Ovi, who said literally the night that he got injured and left in Vegas, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He's not going to be a problem. And and like I said in that video I posted, that idiotic video right as the horn was sounding, we have two Russian machines that never break because Kuzi was awesome. So I'm sitting there with Allie. One more thing about the game. I'm sitting there with Allie from Capital One. Young Allie, who has said to me as she's sitting there, because she was with the Capital One promotion team, she said, I've, ne- I've never been to a hockey game. This is my first ever. And I'm like, wow, well, okay then. What a way to get into the game. All right. I said, listen, any questions, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Just ask me. I'll do my best to answer it. Some things even I'm a little bit fuzzy on. So we were talking during the game and during stoppages and between periods, and we were talking about stuff. She played soccer, so she got a lot of the concepts of offsides and icing and everything else. But, you know, she was like, man, these guys are, it's amazing how well-conditioned they must be and how, you know, how fast they go and everything else. So I was talking about how long shifts are, like 45 seconds, basically, because you just go breakneck speed, and you give it all you got, and then you get off the ice. And... It got to the point where we were talking about, you know, forechecking. And I said, you know, one of the things that makes hockey exhausting, and I can speak from experience, having played horrible D-League men's men's adult rec hockey, I said one of the things that really wears you out is changing direction. You know, skating hard, stopping, changing direction, digging in with your skates. I said it's like skiing when you feel that burn in your legs and you're like, oh, man. So I then started pointing out some, you know, four checkers. I'm like, you know, one of the things that's exhausting and these guys have to do is that, okay, look, here comes the puck. See our guy? He's going to come skating really hard after this guy. He's going to follow him all the way around behind the net. He's not going to come close to getting the puck. These guys have to do this, even though they know this is probably not, this is pointless. I can't catch this guy, but they have to do it. That's their job because you have to keep pressure on the other team. Little things like that. And sure enough, on that Devontae Smith-Pelly goal that iced it to make it 3-1, it was Jay Beagle, who I'm starting to love more and more and more, who pressed up, who challenged on the forecheck, and caught poor Shea Theodore 
It just a, a, a little bit of a slip. That's all it was. He just whiffed a tiny little bit on handling the puck. He was just going to give it a little uh, little scooch-scooch touch-up, and then he was going to flip it out of the zone. And on the scooch-scooch touch-up, I'm not sure if that's a technical hockey term or not, he just whiffed on it. And so it got away from him for a split second, and because Beagle was hustling, he was on it. He was on it like your dog under the dining room table at dinner on a piece of scrap that had fallen. Boom, boom. Gobbled it right up. And, of course, it took DSP cruising in behind, being in position, seeing that a play may develop, and then he jumps up with a burst of speed, as you heard from the play-by-play there from Doc Emmerich, and he swoops into position. Beagle knows he's coming, sees he's coming, might see a flash of red, who knows, or just says, I've dug it out on a turnover, why not here? Somebody go jump in front of this. It gets right on DSP's blade for just a second. And what was great about the goal, and this is for a guy who is a fourth-line checking power forward, he doesn't panic. He doesn't just go, oh, God, I'm right in front of the net. Shoot, shoot, anything. He doesn't just try to flip it. He doesn't you know, drive it right into Marc-Andre Fleury's chest. He holds it just for a split second. He just lets it collect on a stick as he's cruising in. And I saw some still photos of this, which were fantastic. He, uh, he lets it collect on a stick, and then he waits until, and his body is kind of turned because the puck is behind him, and he just, he, he's totally in control and waits, and then flip, roofs it right overneath, uh, right overneath, right over top of Flurry's glove. Didn't technically roof it. It didn't hit the roof of the net. That's what that term is in hockey for you noobs. If you lift it up so sharply that it hits the underside of the inside of the net, that's called roofing it. But no, he went top corner on a beautiful goal, scores, goal. Quite a night. Game four Monday, rain is supposedly going to clear out. Should be good weather downtown. We'll be broadcasting from Penn Social, Scott Lynn and myself. So come on by and say hi. It's just a couple of blocks east, or excuse me, west of Capital One Arena. And if you are there, you will see all the TV sets. And you will see one of the guys who is on TV, Michael Jenkins, who we'll talk to in just a second. Now, Jenkins is, I would call Jenkins a quasi-romantic, quasi-goofball, creative-type sportscaster. He does a lot of man-on-the-street stuff. He does a lot of interesting set pieces. He's not just a read-the-scores kind of a guy. Well, he wrote a song that I saw on Twitter that's right up my alley. You might say that's the worst song ever, that's the cheesiest, dumbest thing ever. Or you might say, you know what, that's hilarious, that's brilliant. The video that goes with it, with the sort of the artsy effect to some of the clips, is perfect. But you'll hear the backstory on how he wrote this. Here's the song called, It's Okay to Believe. You know, it's been a long time since someone wrote a song about the Caps. Since they're back in the finals, that needs to change. There's a young man named Kuznetsov Who slayed a demon, spread his wings and scored There's a bearded man named the whole beast Who swallowed the lightning and began to roar There's a captain, there's a captain And he's got a date with destiny It's okay to believe 
When you're repping DC, yeah, it's okay to believe. There's a golden boy named Backstrom with silky mitts, a young girl's dream. There's a man who stands like a mountain. And Tommy Wilson wants to watch you bleed. There's a captain, there's a captain, and he's about to realize his dream. Do it! It's okay to believe, yeah, it's okay to believe. When you're repping DC, yeah, it's okay to believe. What is up, man? <laughs> you, How you doing? You are a nut, man. So oh I just God. so I just played here on the Zabe cast Michael Jenkins' new hit single, It's Okay to Believe. Oh God. Bro, that was awesome. That uh, was awesome. Like seriously, okay. I'm I'm pretty lame musically, so explain to me, was that based on a hook from some other song? No, you know, first of all, I'm I'm very well aware that that is, you know, a dude on his couch taking hockey way too seriously. But I all I did was is that I was, you know, I was sitting around one night. And I was kind of just I was on my day off, and I was so hyped up about watching this team. So I delved into the NBC Music Library, and I found some ridiculous instrumental, and I thought, well, I can write something to that. So I so played you, that. So you grabbed it off the uh, the NBC's production music library. Yes, I went online and searched through, I don't know how many, you know, you search for keywords like rock anthem or something and found some song that was, I don't know, it was two minutes of, of rock music. So I thought, well, I, I think I could write something to that. So uh, so that's what I did. And I sat down and threw some music on, recorded, you know, put a phone in front of my face for a few minutes and, and, and put something down. Are you, do you have a musical background in addition to being an Emmy award winning sportscaster? <laughs> No, and I have none. The only thing I've done, none. which is not re- really a musical background, is back in the day I used to sing, which I don't have a great voice, but I my old crew in Austin, when I was in Austin for six years before I came here in, in 2004, and we probably hit the karaoke bar, I don't know, okay. two, or three, two or three times a week, and it just became this thing that we did. So, you know, you're able to get a, get away with sort of putting your inhibitions to the side and, you know, shooting someone like couch as a compared to being in front of a bunch of strangers. So you're a karaoke veteran, which really should yeah. be in your Twitter bio. By the way, follow Michael at JenksNBCS, listed as uh, Proud Longhorn, Emmy winner, loves bourbon, and Nicole Darren, sportscasting's Ron Burgundy, quote-unquote from Dan Patrick. Put in there... Uh, the uh, also a veteran of karaoke, and now and now and now single artist. That I mean, that's great. That is the perfect song. It's okay to believe that encapsulates every Capitals fan in this town. And now, right now, as you know, because you've done so many man on the street stuff for uh, NBC Sports Washington, you've met so many fans. Now we're way up on this ladder, Jenks, where it is really high. And mm-hmm. if you're a fan who looks down right now. You're going to get a little dizzy thinking about where we are right now, right? Oh, no question. And it's it's so close. It's so close. But the one thing I will say is that, and I think this has resonated with the team, is that for the first time there's been this sort of sea change among fans where they're just not scared anymore. 
And now, now, yeah, if you look down and you start thinking about it and you put too much thought into it, listen, there's a long way to fall here. But there's something about this team, the way it plays, the way it never gives up, and the fact that it's just different and unexpected than every run we were supposed to have in the past few years, that it's just a completely different vibe. And people are completely confident. Uh, the fans are different at the arena. You know, even in Capital One, even in previous years, you could feel people getting nervous. It was really weird, and it and it rubbed off on the team, and you could tell it was the way they played. They would tighten up, and it's just different now. I, I think it was breaking through against Pittsburgh, and look, there's still a lot of work to do. This is far from over. Vegas is a great hockey team. Oh, yeah. But, oh, but, yeah. but You're right. The, is, feel, the feel is different, and, and not, yeah. only, not only was there that tension, that apprehension of, oh, here comes the whammy that was palpable in the arena at home, Trotz talked about it. The announcers on NBC talked about it. It was a known thing. And you're right. This year feels different, almost like in a sense of, okay, well, fuck it then. And that's right. been the thing, like every step along the way, like starting with the year, right? With the quote from Ovi, this year we're not going to be suck. <laughs> that started the year, Jenks, because they lose all these guys that were loaded up for what they thought was their big window. It crashed and burned. No one was picking them this year. And Ovi started the year by going, well, we're not going to be suck. And then he went out and scored how many goals in the first, like, six games? A million? Oh, it was incredible. Right. Okay. And, so that's, and you know what it is? Yeah. I'll tell you this. There, there's, a, there's a common thread here, and it's, it's, it's two things. It's, it's youth, and it's youth on that roster. And it's youth amongst the fans because, you know, when you and I talk about the Caps, we're talking about, you know, we have this history, right? We have this history. We, we think about disappointment and, and, and the times the Caps disappointed us. And it goes back. And there were people that were, you know, watching at the Caps Center in 98. But the young guys on that roster and the young fans who have come on board recently, that doesn't resonate with them. Now, maybe we should say, well, it should. You know, that's Caps history. But they don't know it. And it, it doesn't affect them. So when we went down 01 in Vegas – to me, it started to creep in, and I know it's just one game, and I thought, oh, God, here we go. I mean, I don't think we're going to win the Cup. And the majority of fans I talked to who were young said, what are you talking about? The Cavs and fight is one game. And I'm telling you, it's that sort of attitude. Yeah. And the same thing with the guys on the roster. These young guys, they don't have a history with Sidney Crosby. It, it means nothing to them. Well, look, so, at, look at also the playoffs. Okay, so first round down 0-2, two home losses to Columbus. Ovi promises we'll be back, and the team has a sense of, okay, fuck it, we're down 0-2, we'll figure it out. Backstrom gets hurt. Oh, God, we don't have him for a while. Okay, fuck it, we'll figure it out. Burakovsky is out. Then the Wilson suspension. You're like, okay, fuck it, we'll figure it out. (laughs) They get past the Penguins, and then they fall behind to Tampa, and it's looking really, really dark, and the team says, okay, fuck it, we'll figure it out, and on and on and on again. And then it culminates with Kuzi looking like he broke his arm, basically, in game two. And Dr. Ovechkin Jenks says that night, without any x-rays, without any analysis, ah, he'll be fine. And I remember (laughs) thinking to myself, what are you talking about, Ovi? You don't know if he's going to be fine. Guess what? Dr. Ovechkin was right. And so that whole vibe just keeps kind of repeating itself, which is wonderful. It's fun. It's it's so much fun to see because it's, it's different. It's the same, but it's completely different. And these guys just have, they just have a different, feel about them and i'll tell you something you know we've seen this before where this always happens in the stanley cup finals or when in the stanley cup playoffs where there's a team they have a great player maybe a superstar they have a couple guys that suddenly step up and a goalie standing on his head and that's all you need to make a run to the cup right and it's always been someone else that we've been playing and finally for the first time it's the caps 
For the first time, the Cavs are that team because everything that normally happens to that one team that gets hot and makes a run is ne- it's actually the Capitals. Yeah. And so that's what's exciting to me is because we've seen it so long. You know how many times you know the Cavs run into a guy just turned into a brick wall all of a sudden. It was like where was this in a regular season? You know, unbelievable. But now we're the team where everything is coming together. We're Devonte Smith Valley scoring a game clincher. I mean, stuff you would have never imagined, which would have sounded preposterous a couple months ago is now happening in D.C., and that's what makes it so much fun. It's almost like when Walter White said, when somebody knocks, I am the danger. (laughs) Like, the Caps have become the team that is the danger that is making this run right now. You guys at NBC Sports Washington have been killing it with the coverage downtown, inside the arena, outside the arena for watch parties when the team is not in town, and, of course, last night uh, for game number three. Tell me your impressions of how the city has turned out for, you know, that epicenter being downtown Chinatown. Uh, It's just awesome. There's just so much, you know, I've said this before, and I don't want to get too utopian and and, uh, about it, but there's so much divisiveness now in in 2018. And, and, and and so when you have something, I mean, sports is a great equalizer. And that's, listen, if you're in the same city with someone, doesn't matter what your beliefs are otherwise in any other area. But everybody can be on the same page with their local sports team making a run, you know. And so when you can walk in downtown D.C. where people are from every walk of life all over the world and everyone's in this together, like in this for the Caps, there are tons of fans who definitely jumped on board like a year ago or three months ago. But it doesn't matter because everyone wants to be a part of it. And you just walk around and it's just this huge community of people who have been dying for anything for this city for so long. I even had a couple guys stop me and they said, listen, man, we're not hockey fans. We're Redskins fans, but this town has not had a celebration like this since 1991. And oh, exactly. And the world, yeah. The world was different. And I was thinking about this, Jenks, that this is only the second Saturday was only the second championship round game played in Washington, D.C. Yes, there was two of them played in 98, but they they got swept by the Red Wings. I'm going to meld them into one. It's only the second championship round game played in this town in 35 years going back to, I'm going to call the NFC title game in 91 with the Redskins. (sighs) A championship round game because it's before the NFC championship. That's a big event, okay? You're talking yeah. about three of those in 35 plus years, and there's nothing like it to actually play games that are for the championship in your city, whether it's hockey, basketball, baseball, or in the case of football, an NFC or AFC title game. And that's what we have been starved of, and that's why it's it's such an amazing relief. It's It's such a relief, and it's it's just it, the city deserves it. This is a, you know, I, I get tired of hearing that DC isn't a great sports town, and, and fine, it's not Chicago, okay? Or, well, everyone's or, or killing, everyone's killing Will Bond. It's hashtag yeah, I mean, it's, Will it, Bond sucks. Will Bond's taking yeah, a beat. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like I, I understand that. Sure, there are degrees to everything too. It's not either you're a great sports town or you're terrible. DC is a fine sports town. The problem is we've been starved for so long. But this is a great city, and there are a lot of diehard fans who still to this day have been waiting for decades for any sort of championship. And man, everybody's coming out to say, even if they're not huge sports fans, you know what? That Washington D.C. does deserve a title. We have been waiting for a long time. We we have earned this. We've been patient, and everyone's in this together. And that's exactly what you get when you're walking around. There's so many people that 
didn't even have tickets to the game, which I understand is really expensive, but they just wanted to be down there on the street, walking around, able to hug someone or to celebrate or to cheer. And, and I mean, I was, I've been here since 2004. I've never experienced anything like it. And, and like we were just talking about, this goes back a long time. So I, I can't even imagine some of the frustration for some of the fans, but man, it's good to have this release for now. And I know it's not over, but, but it's, it's been a great run. Is there anything that compares coming from Austin, Texas? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know, I've never experienced – the only championship I've ever, ever experienced as a fan was was Texas winning the national title in 2005 and Vince with that incredible. Where, where were you at that time, <sighs> You know what? Here's the brutal part of this. My family had scheduled a cruise a year no. in advance. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. And my mom said, I'm paying for the entire family, and we're all going on a cruise in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> There's no getting out of that safe. None. All right, hold on a second. In 05, how old were you? Oh, God, how old was I? I was uh, 30, 31. So you were out of college, obviously. You were working professionally where? Here. I just gotten here. Oh, you just year. got to D.C.? Yep. And, you're, and your mom schedules a cruise how many months out? Six oh, months? Almost, almost. Easy, easy. Almost a year out. I mean, okay. this was a big idea that she had, and she wanted to make it happen. Was there any sense a year out that this was a big year coming up for the Horns with Vince Young? Because I don't recall leading up to that how much people were expecting, hey, Vince Young's going to tear it up. No, you know, the revisionist history about that is funny because Vince, while just an incredible athlete, he was a five-star recruit, but there was talk after his sophomore season, maybe we want him to tight end. Like maybe he's, <laughs> a, maybe he's not a quarterback. And so about – but we knew we were going to be good – but then you get about three or four games in, and you're thinking, "Whoa, what this guy right, is yeah, really no. good." And then, and and we then you could tell like this is something special here. I mean, and you knew, and and that's when it started to hit me like, ah, if these guys make a run. The one thing I remember about that year is that we covered the points spread every single game. I just couldn't believe. It. I, like, oh, I wish yeah. I was gambling more back there. It was unbelievable. But yeah, <laughs> I. I I thought, God, these guys are going to make a run. And sure enough, they did. The funny thing is, though, this is a really right, so, funny. Yeah, so okay, back, well, I, want, I want to rope it back to your mom and the cruise just before we close the books on this. So, so your mom does a wonderful, sweet thing that nobody could have foreseen. The, the cruise is paid for. All the family is there. She happened to pick the one vacation spot where it might be the hardest place to get a live transmission of an American sports feed. Yes. So did the ship managed to get a signal in 2005 of the greatest college game ever played in the modern television era. Yes or no? Yes, they, yes, they did, and that is exa- that's exactly what I was going to tell you because I, I was, of course, you have to remember, 2005, as you know, is a totally different time. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I remember looking around the ship, and I'm sweating. Like, I've got to watch this game. So I, <laughs> there was a guy, and this is this stereotypical text, and he had on these these – his jeans and he had a you know a mustache and he has a shirt which is the texas flag his whole shirt's a texas flag black hat and i said i'll tell you who's going to know if they're going to have these this game on this guy. guy so i walk over to him and i said hey do you know have you heard if they're going to play the, the texas usc game the rose bowl and he looks at me and he smiles and he says direct quote there's going to be a mutiny if they don't <laughs> 
And I thought this game's getting on. And sure enough, they had a ballroom where they had it on the big screen. So I watched it in, you know, some cruise ballroom. But I knew once that guy said that, I thought, I bet there's a pretty good chance they find a way. That's great. And, you know, it's tough because many, 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 many years ago in 96, when I went on my honeymoon to the Caribbean, I was pleased that I finally found ESPN. And, oh, yeah, exactly. And, and I'm waiting for Sports Center. This was late August, so it still wasn't the meat of the you know of any season. It was still the last vestiges of the dead of summer, but I wanted to hear some training camp news and some other stuff. And I hear the Sports Center theme. I'm all excited, Jenks. And then I learned about something called ESPN International, in which <laughs> in which their sports center is comprised of, and I exaggerate not one bit, soccer cycling, cricket, more soccer, uh, rugby, maybe some other sport I've never heard of, and then just one more dollop of soccer at the end. I was like, holy shit, there's a whole nother ESPN that caters to the rest of the world for the sports that we don't give a shit about. Exactly. You forget. You forget. It's easy to forget, you know, being here for so long that that in, in different parts of the world that the stuff that we love doesn't even resonate. You know, a few a few months ago, I went to talk. I was at a Wizards game, and and the boss said, "Listen, find a fan tonight. We want you to find a fan who's really passionate about the Washington Wizards, and then talk to them." And I said, "Okay, I'll do that." I found a couple that had gotten engaged during the game, but they were from like Belgium or something, right? And so I talked to them, and I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be great. You know, uh, they're going to tell me about how much they like uh, the Wizards." Turns out, they don't care about the Wizards at all. The wife just happens to be a LeBron fan, but their favorite sport is volleyball. Wow. You know, it's just, yeah, I mean, it was just, I, and I thought, this is, you know, I would, I've never met anyone who That's said, very weird. Yeah, but there, there are, you know, like you said, there's different parts of the world and, you know, American football or, or NHL hockey, it's not even on the radar. It's crazy. Do you love doing the kind of man on the street stuff that you do for NBC Sports Washington? What's that? I'm sorry, I missed you there. Do you love doing the stuff that you do, the man on the street stuff? Because you also obviously anchor shows, and I mean you're you're a full service sportscaster. But I think easily anyone who watches you knows that one of the best things you do, one of your strengths, is interacting with the fans. You know, I do because I, I have a, a legitimate and and genuine affinity for the fans, and I, I really care. I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, I'm a sensitive person, Zabe. I you know I, I love people, and I, when I can connect with people and because I am just a guy, like I'm just a guy who ended up working here. I don't know how much longer that's going to last in, in this day and age, but uh, but I am a guy who just loves teams, and I don't I don't ever want people to look at me as any different. The one thing I will say that I do miss, though, is that I do miss the traditional sort of journalistic elements okay. of. You know, I mean, I did, I did, you know, I went to school, I, I studied journalism, I got two degrees in journalism, I, you know, it, the underpinnings of, of what we do are, are some of the things that I really fell in love with. And so when I don't get to write as much as I used to, or I don't get to create as much as I love talking to the fans, I, I, I sometimes I really yearn to sort of like yeah. dig in and do something uh, that was part of my training and part of why I fell in love with the industry. And that you've, doesn't really exist anymore like it used to. So that makes it tough. You've got two degrees in journalism? I do. What are they? I have a bachelor's in journalism and I have a master's in journalism, but that was more of like statistical analyses and, and doing a lot of the, the underpinnings and the, and the, you know, the statistical relevance of, of the way news is presented and whether or not it has an impact on credibility. I mean, it's some really nerdy stuff. You know, that's awesome though. But the problem is, as you know, there ain't no money in journalism. Like journalism doesn't pay. Nobody wants journalism. 
And what yeah. complicates things, you know, you could do some great broadcast journalism if NBC Sports Washington really wanted to be in that business. But right. th- your company is also in the business of carrying and presenting games of the local teams. So inevitably, if a story comes up that doesn't make the local team look great, like let's take, for example, your brethren up in Philly, where the Colangelo <laughs> story just hit like a bombshell. Like, how much can you dig into that? I- I'm thinking the answer is they probably say this is not what we do, per se. You know? It's very little. And, and you know, the reality is look, we have team partners, right? So it's the same thing with, you know, NBC Sports Philadelphia. When you are in a partnership with certain local teams, and that's just the reality of the situation, you, you know, you are bound by certain restrictions and, and wants and needs from both sides. And, and there wouldn't be some sort of in-depth. That's, that's why it takes the ringer or some sort of um, – you know, some sort of independent entity, that independent, says, yeah. right. That is not associated with anyone that has to do the digging there because now the way things work, it just, you wouldn't have the, you wouldn't be given the green light to do something like that. And, and as a journalist, did you dig into and read that whole ringer story? And did you find it? I did. I mean, I thought it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, That's it was brilliant, great journalism. brilliantly played. I mean, they set this perfect mousetrap for Colangelo, and he walked right into it by the way he put all these accounts private at the same time when they only told him about two of the five, and they're like, oh, I see. That was really – and my my favorite part was that someone had reached out to them and said, you know, I've run some artificial intelligence on these five different accounts, and my – what we've come to a conclusion is is that they are high, it's highly highly probable that it's the same person behind these accounts and that that's something that is is just amazing to me not to mention the journalism involved but the fact that someone actually ran an ai program to bear out the numbers of, of how highly probable it was that this was the same person yeah. unbelievable well, to as me. You, as you know from nba fans and nba twitter don't even get into their world because they're oh. so more savvy than anyone else that a GM like Colangelo thinking, oh, I'll get these burner accounts. Nobody will know. <laughs> no. They live NBA Twitter to suss this stuff out. They argue the most mundane shit about NBA players all day, <laughs> every day. And so it's like he walked into the worst possible scenario with that. So, And it's the pettiest. No one does petty like the NBA. I mean, it's, even even the players are. I mean, not only is it this is its own world where people live for that kind of stuff, but no one is pettier than like the the NBA world and NBA fans. You know, when guys are posting videos that are sort of subtle shots at other players, it's it's just whole subculture that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. All right, uh, real quick. Uh, so, well, I don't want to talk about what's going to happen next. I, I can't talk about what's going to happen next. Let's just take it one game at a time. How about that? Yeah, one I like game it. at a and time. I, one game at a time, and I, it's okay to believe, man. It's okay to be confident. This is this is this is a different team, and I, it feels like a different year. It's not over, but I'm okay with saying let's let's go back to game four and just pick up another W. Why Dan call you Ron Burgundy? I always see Conan O'Brien in you. I'm sure you get that a lot, right? <laughs> I've gotten that a lot. You know what it was? It was the whole. Uh, it was the drinking uh, on air. You know, uh, a few years ago when I pretended to have a drink. Uh, after the oh, right, 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 So I talked with Dan after that, and that's where that came okay. from. Okay, and, uh, and you are a bourbon aficionado. Absolutely, give no me, question. Give me your top three bourbons, go. <sighs> okay, number one, I'm going to say uh, Widow Jane. I love Widow Jane. Widow Jane, okay. Never uh, heard Widow of it. Widow Jane. Okay. Whistlepig, anything Whistlepig. I've heard of Whistlepig. I hear that's fantastic. Is absolutely fantastic, and I'm going to throw in uh, I'm going to throw in one that's not necessarily a high end, but it's always good as Four Roses. 
anything four roses is I, I feel if you want like just a good price point and just always have a good bourbon anything four roses is a good shot have you been to rebellion in downtown dc i have not i've got to go yeah you know what it is right it's like a whiskey or a whiskey slash bourbon bar in which they've got a wall full of the stuff that you've never seen or heard from it's pretty cool all right, well, that is going to be my next destination then. That sounds right. awesome. <laughs> uh, as a fellow part-time singer, because every now and then I write sub-lyrics for certain songs and then hurt my listeners' ears with my own singing, never stop churning out hits, Jenkins. You've got one hit on your hand. The pressure is on for another one once this thing is over. Thanks for the time, hey, just, buddy. Hey, thanks, man. It just broke a uh, top 1,000 on Tidal. It's going to be huge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks, Jenks. Thanks, Dave. All right, buddy. See you. Let's end with this today. Technology is a double-edged sword. There are winners and there are often losers, such as the navigation app Waze, W-A-Z-E. Surely you know about Waze, right? Waze is great because it really combines a lot of, it's more than just navigation, obviously. It's real-time you know, users inputting, here's a cop, here's a disabled car, here's this, here's that, blah, blah, blah. I don't like how cartoony it looks, but that's just my own taste. It really is a hell of an app. People swear by it. And it's also, of course, leveraging Waze's, the algorithms of mapping and computers and user data and everything else. And so it's very good at finding out and really sort of figuring out what is the fastest way to get somewhere. And that is the problem depending on where you live. Motorists in California and other places are using navigation apps like this to minimize their travel time from place to place. And given how bad traffic is in Southern California, it now means that many drivers are now going through quiet, formerly quiet, sleepy, suburban streets. There's one Pam Sobo who wrote in, to the LA Times of Encino, California. Encino, man! Saying that her quaint little out-of-the-way neighborhood had turned into a living traffic hell thanks to Waze. She wrote, Please help me and others who live on Bolina Canyon Road. Waze has killed our street, ruined our neighborhood. This, she says, after she saw a column of diverted drivers spinning out on the crazy Baxter Street incline in Echo Park. There's a stop sign in front of Sobo's house. In the morning, cars pull up to it and to a halt, or maybe not even a halt, then hit the gas to blast up the hill. Everyone's in a hurry in Los Angeles, writes the LA Times. We'll do anything to shave 10 seconds off a commute. Unwilling to change our evil ways. So here's the question. Does this Pam Sobo have a point? Is she right? Whose side are you on? Should Apps like this be able to send what is otherwise major commuting traffic that is otherwise destined for the freeways onto side roads? Or should it be, hey, Pam Sobo, too bad. You don't pay for that street. Your taxpayer money pays for it, but all of our taxpayer money does. If it's not a private road, it's not a private road. So too bad if there is now a higher volume of traffic. Maybe next time you buy a house, you should go look for a cul-de-sac that dead ends. That way you know you're not going to have any traffic going by your house. My personal feeling is I don't I don't know exactly. I'm, I'm split on this. Part of me says, no, that's not fucking commuting roads. Get off. Like, that should not be legal. But then how do you stop it? Speed bumps, maybe speed tables, speed limits, 
more cops, uh, selective road closure. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But for those in the way of the Waze algorithm, good luck. Because we are all slaves to the algorithm. That'll be a wrap for today. You know the drill. Tell two friends and hit up that Reddit board about how great this is. Leave a positive review rating. Thank you for those. Download, subscribe at all the normal places. And always remember, the hardest game to win is the fourth game of a series. And we ain't even there yet, Caps fans. So let's cool our jets for now. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.